0: think for a second about the difference that it would make if both we and the churches in our community and around our nation, around the world, would choose to think of ourselves less as a cruise ship and what pleases us and what makes us happy and comfortable and all of that, and more like a battleship. What can get us ready for the encounters that we'll have in life? What can make us dangerous in our community? for a spiritual battle. Certainly there are things in church that we appreciate, that we know we can come and we can be loved and encouraged, and there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, we know that if we simply view our experience as a church as just a cruise through life, then we are missing the boat, no pun intended, on what God has really designed the church to be. Many of you know that. Many of you look at that and say, that's exactly right. I've been saying that for years. Maybe you think, oh, goodness, I hadn't thought about that before. But I want you to think in terms today and sort of as a reminder of the overall point of our series that we're talking about, that really God has not called us as individuals or as a church to be on a cruise through life. There are enjoyable things. And I would encourage you, as much as you can, enjoy life. Enjoy it. You get one shot. You get one go around. You're going to do something, now's the time. If you're going to enjoy something, your family and so on, now's the time. So enjoy life, but at the same time, in our enjoyment of life and enjoyment of church, let's not miss the point of why we are here. We were put here to glorify God and to teach others to do the same. That is our mission, the clear and noble mission that the video talked about. And so as we think about continuing this series, so far we have looked at the fact that Jesus began what he called an unstoppable movement, which was his church, and that church includes all those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ, all believers, those who have given their lives completely to him, counting on him alone for salvation. That's the church as a whole, but it's also segmented, as we know, into local churches just like this one, just like many that are meeting across our county and our state and our country today, and so We know that that movement that Jesus started, he said, would be unstoppable. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at the fact that he has invited us to be a part of it. That it's not something that we get to sit on the sidelines and say, well, isn't that great what those people are doing? But we get to be a part of it. We get to jump right there in the game and and go after it. And so in order to answer that call to be unstoppable, our responsibility is to believe in and to imitate our founder. Through his, his service that he gave to people, through his sacrifice, through... The fact that, that he came to seek out those who were far from him. And he gave his life for them. He did whatever it took to get them to God. That, that when people began to follow him and come under his leadership, he shepherded them. Even though they wandered off, he did the best he could to shepherd them. So we, we need to believe in and imitate him. And that's how we get started on this journey to be unstoppable. And last week, we, we looked at the fact that a biblical church is full of imperfect people. And if you came today and you are perfect, I, I won't ask you to leave, okay, but I, I just want you to know you're going to mess us up because, we, unfortunately, we're full of imperfect people. There's not a person in here, at least to my knowledge. Some of you would say, well, hold on a second. I beg to be for Let me lay out my perfection for you. Okay, but for the most part, none of us in here are completely perfect. We probably made at least one or two mistakes on the way here, probably since we've been here, probably after we leave at lunch and so on the rest of the day. None of us are perfect. And the great news is that God chooses to use a bunch of imperfect people to, to facilitate his mission in the world. And I'm thankful for that because the only perfect person that ever lived was Jesus Christ. And so as a result, if he can't use us, then we're not going to see anything happen in our world. And so I'm thankful he uses imperfect people. What we looked at last week was the fact that though we are imperfect, we deal with the past. And we move forward then together and with Jesus. He's got a future for us and a plan for us. And so the whole focus of this particular series, as you see the video and think, this is kind of what we're about. We're on a mission from God. The whole focus is that we're not called to merely survive, both as individuals and as a church. We're not called to just sort of be here on Highway 94 East and just kind of exist. It's really not what we're called to do. Instead, we're called to be unstoppable. We are called to fulfill the mission of God, and that can only happen if God is involved in what we're doing individually and collectively, you well know, because our efforts run out. And the truth is, God has always been involved and always been active. Some folks would lead you to believe that God is sort of a bystander in history, that he's just kind of watching things unfold. Maybe a long time ago, he set some stuff up, and all the laws of nature take care of that, and laws of physics and so on, just kind of keep the world spinning and going and all that. But if you read the Bible, if you read it, you realize that we have an active God. A God who is involved and interested in every detail of your life and of my life. And in every detail of the life of this church and of his church collectively, he is interested, he is active. He is not a bystander or a watcher of history. He writes it. He is the author of history. He is the one who is guiding everything that happens for his purposes. And he has a unique partnership with us because he works in and through us to fulfill those purposes. And he said he would do that, and that's what we've seen in history. You know, we know that God is active. We know that. But there are some times, you would probably agree with this, that God shows up in ways that are just really, really, really obvious. That you just can't miss. And you can't just sit back and be lulled to sleep. You have to look and say, wow. Somebody you know has probably had their life completely changed by giving themselves to Jesus Christ. They were once one way and now they are a different way. You cannot look at that and say, well, I guess maybe you know they just they, they went through a program or they decided to do things a little bit different, and so as a result, they've just sort of gotten on a better path. Only Jesus Christ can do that. There's no way that lives, lives can be changed apart from him. So you, you've seen that. You've seen God show up in ways that you just think, wow, I know God's active, but wow, that was really active. That was something special. God has done that throughout history. We, we, we see a lot of times that the outcomes of God moving have a lot in common. There, there's some, some stories in the Old Testament, one of which I think you're probably familiar with, the story of when the Israelites back in Exodus were in slavery to the Egyptians. And they began to pray, and over years and years and years, they cried out to God, God, please get us out of this. God, we don't want to be slaves anymore. We want to be our own people, our own nation. God, where are you? Please help us. And eventually, the Bible says, God said, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to move in a unique way. God was always present. He was always there. He was always there with him. He never left him, but he said, I'm going to show up in a unique way. And so we see in Exodus chapter 3 this encounter with Moses where he appoints Moses as the guy who's going to go stand before the king and lead all of the Israelites out of Egypt. And that's eventually what happens. And God moved in a miraculous way for the purpose of deliverance, to get them out of slavery. One of the outcomes of God moving in a special way really is to set people free. You ever been a part of an encounter with God where, You were once trapped by something, once caught up in something that you couldn't shake. And all of a sudden, God moves in a miraculous way to begin to submit yourself to him and cry out to him, and he sets you free from that. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've seen someone who has. Part of the result of God moving in a unique way is to set people free, to bring them deliverance. There's another story a little bit later in the Old Testament where God had told the people, look, if you don't serve me, if you don't worship me only, If you keep going after all these other things and giving your devotion to other gods and making little idols so you can worship them because you can't see me, so you think you need something you can see to worship. If you don't worship me by faith and all that, I'm going to send you into exile, meaning you're not going to live here anymore. You're going to go live somewhere else under somebody else's rule, and it's going to be just like it was when you were in slavery. It's going to happen all over again. God warned them over and over and over again. If you know the story of the Old Testament, prophet after prophet after prophet, what did they say? Don't worship idols. It was as if they were speaking a different language. They kept saying, don't worship idols. Worship God alone. Give your devotion to him. Finally, God says, that's enough. And he moves in a very unique way. And he sent all of his people into Babylon to be in exile. And they were there for quite some time. And later on, God says, all right, that's enough. They have been punished enough. They have experienced enough discipline, now I'm bringing them out. And so as a result, interestingly enough, from that point on in Scripture, the Israelite people never again worshiped another idol. Imagine that. Imagine that, that God finally got their attention. But God's purpose, his outcome, was repentance. Sometimes God moves in our lives for the purpose of saying, it's time to turn around. You've been there before? God sort of gets your attention in some way. Maybe it's an accident, maybe it's a situation in the family, maybe it's a health report, whatever it may be, but God does something and says, it's time to wake up and turn around. Sometimes his purpose is for repentance. But it's interesting in that same story that Nehemiah would eventually go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. God's purpose is also for restoration, to build back up what had fallen down. Some of you have experienced that in your lives. And you've seen, you know what, I fell over and over again, but God picked me back up. He wasn't done with me. I had broken pieces of my life laying everywhere, relationships that were severed, and God put them back together. God can do that. His outcomes are for the purpose of deliverance, for the purpose of restoration, for repentance. And we'll see today and in in the series that that will continue next week that in Acts chapter 2, we see that God moves in a very, very unique way. And in a way we still get to experience today because he brought in the Holy Spirit to live inside of all the believers. And as a result, they were empowered in ways they never imagined. They became more bold about the the faith in Jesus Christ that they had than they had ever been before. Evangelism was set on fire as a result of God's movement, and thousands of people came to faith in Jesus Christ. They experienced, as a result, legitimate growth in their church. People who truly became disciples of Jesus Christ, not just sort of one of the crowd watching from the sidelines, but thousands of people getting involved. you may say, well, man, I'd love to see God really show up and do something. It'd be great if he if He did that. I mean, maybe you wonder what it would, what it would take to get God to show up in an incredible way in your life and do something for you that you say, man, I've been praying for that for years, or, or to do something in and through this church that you just think, I don't want to just exist anymore. We've got a community to reach. Maybe you say, well, what can we do? Because the truth is everybody at your core, if you're honest with yourself, That's what you really want in life. Very few people, if they're really, really honest, would say, you know, I'm just really content just to kind of exist. I really don't care about making any sort of impact. I'm not worried about my family in any way. You know what? If they find Jesus great. If not, okay, you know, I I was a good person. I mean, I went to church and showed them a little bit. I'm not really worried about my neighbors because eh, people don't really, let's be honest. For the most part, we want our lives to be a part of something that's really incredible. And if we're honest about our church, we don't show up week after week. We don't serve in the nursery and we don't serve in here and we don't do things here at church. Really, our core, just so we can exist and kind of pay the bills and take up space, we don't, we don't. The truth be told, if you really get to your core, if we were to talk one-on-one, you'd say, you know what, I I really think God can do something here. I really think he can. Look at our location. Look where we are. Look at who's coming here. Look who we've got. Look at our young people. Look look at all that's taking place. You would say, I really think God can do something. Everybody wants to be a part of that winning side. My son Hank enjoys now watching baseball, which I brainwashed him from early on, and all... (laughs) You know, it's one of those things you talk about God showing up in miraculous ways. God, you know, Eddie Clyde prayed this morning, God, thank you for answered prayer. And I don't mean to be uh, facetious in any way because I, I know that God does really answer prayer. But I'm thankful God gave me a son that likes baseball because I'm not sure what I would really do. I can't do anything else. And so, you know, if I had to work on motors, I'd be in trouble. I would have no clue. But anyway, uh, Hank and I watch, we watch games. And he, he'll ask, I think it's an excuse to stay up a little later. Because he'll ask Daddy, can we watch baseball tonight?" And I go, you know, what am I supposed to say? Nancy looks at me like, come on. Just one more inning, you know, just one more hitter. It's, you know, it's fine. And so Hank knows exactly what to do. And Nora's in on it, too, because she'll come in and say, Daddy, baseball, baseball. And so she knows. She just gets to stay up, you know. And so anyway, so every time, though, that we sit down to watch a game, Hank wants to know a couple of things. He wants to know who's playing. Yesterday, in the afternoon, we were watching the, the Fox Saturday baseball game of the week, and the Cubs and the Mets happened to be our local game, which, no offense to the Cubs fans, but it wasn't really a very exciting game, nothing really on the line. But we sat and watched the game. It was the only thing on, only game on. And so, <laughs> Hanks is that who's playing. I said, well, it's the Cubs and the Mets. And the next thing he wants to know is, well, who's who? I so, said, well, the, the Cubs are, are wearing the white uniforms today, and the Mets are the gray uniforms. because the Cubs are the own team. The next question is, is the big one for him. Who's winning? And it happened to be, Brent, happened to be, that's right, it happened to be the Cubs were winning yesterday, which this year has kind of been hit or miss, unfortunately, for the Cubs. But for you Cardinal fans, you just think, all right, you know, that's good. But anyway, but the Cubs were winning yesterday. So as a result, that being the most important question, who do you think Hank's pulling for in a game? The Cubs, go Cubs, go Cubs, go Cubs. The, you know, if the Mets were winning, he'd have pulled for the Mets. Now, we have some parameters in our house. I just want you to know, we have boundaries in our home. Hank knows that no matter what, that the Reds are the team he has to pull for when they're playing, whether they're winning or losing. That's the quickest way to get sent to your room is to pull against the Reds. That's the way that it is. He knows that, okay? He understands. He's he's four, but he's learned. So he knows that no matter what, the Reds can be winning, which is rare. The Reds can be losing, which is more often, and he has to pull for them no matter what. The other rule that we have in our home when we watch baseball is that no matter what, when the Yankees are playing, you have to pull against the Yankees, no matter if they're winning or losing. So he knows he has to pull for the Reds, and he has to pull against the Yankees. In between, we get lots of freedom. You see, you see what we're doing? We're getting boundaries, but freedom within. I mean we're no, I'm raising my kids through baseball. But anyway, that's so so he knows that. But the truth is, the point is this, that Hank is just like all of us. We all want to be a part of what's really going on, what's good, what's winning, what's what's in the long run going to be the best option. And so we we look at that and we think in terms of the church, in the terms of it being unstoppable, and we want to get in on something that God is doing because we know if God shows up that we'll win. And so we think about getting ready, getting prepared for what God might want to do. And as I read the Scripture, I think... There are some things that we can do to get ready. There are some things that are not required as well. And I just want to kind of bring these up very quickly. These are not on your outline or anything like this. But think about this. Let me tell you some stuff that's not required for God to move in your life. You don't have to have the right formula. For God to move in our church and to do something unusual and to bring about empowerment and evangelism and, and lost people finding him, we don't have to have the right formula which means that we don't have to do just this or just that. If we can get all the pieces just right, then all of a sudden, watch out, because there it goes. We don't have to have the right formula. Some folks would go to Acts chapter 2 and read about chapter 4 and so on, and and they would look and say, well, if we would just do it exactly like the apostles did, and if we could create a church that met in the same kind of space— that did the same kind of things, that said the exact same words, then there's the formula right there. Lots of books have been written about stuff like that. But the truth is that in Acts, what we find is this. We find things that are not prescriptive, go do this, 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 and this, and it will equal this. We find things that are descriptive, meaning here's what they did, and here's what happened. We look at the story, and what we have to pull from it is not exactly Two plus two equals four. If we do two and two, then we'll get our result. We look at it. What are the overarching principles? What's what's the bottom line here? And so today, as we look at the scripture, the bottom line is this: that they were ready for a move of God. It's not do this, this, and this, and then God will move. It's just simply we've got to get ready. And as a result, we'll look at the scripture in that light, and so we know that God often and often does wait for people to get ready before making a drastic move. And so I want us to look today at one particular verse, and then we'll sort of fan out from there, at what it was about this early church, this early group of believers that made them ready for what God would bring. So I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. We're going to read this in... A couple of different translations to kind of give some some depth to it, just a little bit. Let you see some different wording on these things. It says this: all these talking about the people we saw last week. All those apostles were, were all. It says were continually united to, in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. That's from the Holman Christian Standard Version, which is normally what we read in here. Now, I want you to see a couple of other versions of this. Check this one out in the New American Standard. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers and the new King James. These all continued with one accord in prayer, and this adds and supplication, with with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And here's a very paraphrased version known as the message. Look at this. They agreed that they were in this for good, completely together in prayer, the women included. Also, Jesus' mother, Mary, and his brothers. So we get an idea, sort of, here's what the scripture is talking about. They've made a decision. This is what we're going to do. We are all in this together. They united in prayer, and they were there waiting for God to do something. And so the context, of course, is the fact that Jesus has just ascended into heaven. He's gone. But he's told them, commanded them, wait in Jerusalem. Something incredible is going to happen. And so there, there they are. They're all together, in the, known as the upper room, and waiting, waiting for Jesus to do what he had promised to do. And so I want to, to run through quickly with me this morning, if you would, some of the things that we see that are principles. Here's what's required. If we're going to be ready for God to move. Here's what's required. These are in, I guess, no real particular order. So if you rearrange them, this is, again, this is not a formula that this plus this plus this plus this plus this at the bottom equals this, and here's what God is going to do, guaranteed. This is not a formula. This is simply a description. One of the things is humility. If you're following along in the back of your bulletin, you're just going to write down a few words today. Humility. I wonder if while they're waiting... If after Jesus is gone and while they're waiting and they're talking about and and remembering all the things that Jesus said, maybe writing some of those things down again so they don't forget, I wonder if in that they were reminded that, that about a month and a half ago they were with Jesus, walking on the road to Jerusalem toward the time when he would be crucified, and he told them, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I wonder if those words came back as they're waiting. What's God going to do? Maybe we need to step in and do it because Jesus is gone. Maybe we're, we're not sure they remember. Wait a minute. Jesus said, apart from him, we can do nothing. And so as a result, maybe we need to be submissive. The, 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 the word humility there gets all confused a lot of times because we think of somebody who, who claims, well, I'm not any good at this or not any good at that. Humility is simply a, a, an accurate recognition of who you are and who you're not. Basically what humility is. And understanding that I am the inferior and God is the superior. You think about the battleship terminology. You know, the mission doesn't come from the bottom up. Where's the mission come from? From the top down. Those on a, a battleship realize very quickly, and some of you have been in this situation, that you are there largely just to follow orders and do what you are told to do and carry out the mission that has been sent from the top down, quick way to get yourself in trouble, try to change the mission and work from the bottom up. doesn't work that way. And we are, in a sense, those people on the battleship God is driving, the one that he is piloting, and we are given the mission from the top down. We are to carry out his mission and his vision and, and to look to him for overall direction and for guidance, realizing that apart from him, that we individually and as a church can do nothing. I I want to share with you a couple of scriptures because I think that this is probably one of those issues that all of us from time to time deal with, that churches stumble over, that individuals struggle with, and it's the idea of pride versus humility. And I want to take the time just very briefly to read you a couple of passages of scripture that sort of, if you're wondering who's in charge, Maybe this will help settle it for you. I'd like for you to look on the screen. You don't have to turn, but in Isaiah chapter 43, God is talking, and he's sort of declaring who he is. And and this is a a passage of Scripture that you sort of stand back and say, okay, um, you're pretty much God. Let's take a look at it. Chapter 43, verse 11, I, I am the Lord, and there is no other Savior but me. I, de- I alone declared, saved, and proclaimed, and not some foreign God among you. So you are my witnesses, and I am God. Verse 13, also, from today on, I am He alone, and no one can take anything from my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? None of us can say that we are the source of salvation, that we are God. We are simply His witnesses, and He. Is God. There's another passage of scripture that's extremely powerful in the book of Job, if you write it down the reference. In Job chapter 38, if you know the story of Job at all, then you know, here's a guy who was a righteous man who did things the way God said to do them. And even so experienced a tremendous amount of difficulty in his life. And that's putting it lightly. This was a guy who lost his entire family. They died. Ten kids, gone. All of his possessions, gone. Everything he had taken from him. He was afflicted with medical issues like you cannot imagine. One thing after another after another. Thought he had friends. They turned their backs on him and said, What did you do so wrong that God would do this to you? Accusing him that his sin somehow caused all this. His wife even, the person who's supposed to be closest to you here on earth, says, Why don't you just curse God and die? He was completely alone if you're in that situation, I can imagine you, imagine me asking, God, I um, thought we were okay. What's going on? God, I, I, maybe I did something. Lord, I'm, I'm searching my heart here. I'm confessing everything that I've ever done in my entire life just so that maybe this stuff will go away because there's some sin. my God, I don't get it. I'm trying to learn through what you're sending me this way. And Job asked all those same questions. Job wanted to know God and why. God's response, and I won't read it all, but I'll just read you a few verses. God's response never answers why. Understand that if you get nothing else, God is not obligated, though I don't completely understand this, God is not obligated to tell us why. But here's what he says. In response to Job, where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know who stretched a measuring line across it. What supports its foundations or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its blanket. When I determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place. When I declared, you may come this far, but no farther. Your proud waves stop here. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or assigned the dawn in its place so it, seizes, so it may seize the edges of the earth and shake the wicked out of it? The earth is changed as clay is by a seal. Its, hill, its hills stand out like the folds of a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked. And the arm raised and violence is broken. Have you ever traveled to the sources of the sea or walked in the depths of the ocean? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of death's shadow? Have, have you comprehended The extent of the earth. Tell me if you know all this. God goes on for another three chapters. Imagine getting smacked around by God in this particular way. That's the way I look at it. Job demanding an answer. God says, who are you to question me? Well, it seems harsh. But I believe we get a good idea of who God is and who we are. And humility is one of those things. If we are going to see God move, we have to recognize He is in charge. He is the one. He gets all of the authority. We are simply, as as he said, his witnesses, his messengers, sent to fulfill his mission. Some of us, the most powerful thing that we can recognize today is that we are not God. Some of us live as if we are. Some of us talk as if we're not and live as if we are. Boy, I tell you what, I've been guilty of that in my life so many times. Some of us, maybe today, Myself included, maybe need to realize I'm not God. I need to humble myself before God and get ready for whatever it is that he might want to do. And once you realize how limited you are on your own, the next move is to seek out who is unlimited. And we're able to do that through prayer. Back in verse fourteen of chapter act of Acts chapter one, rather, it, it records that they were all united together in prayer. Jesus was gone. This was our only way of communicating with him. And so it includes in the New King James the word supplication or in another version, petition. They, this was sincere. This was wholehearted. This was going after God, yielding to him, but seeking him out, knowing that only he can give the direction we need both individually and collectively. And so prayer and humility join together. Begin to build a container in our lives that's ready for a move of God because in prayer we are closer To the heart of God. And we discover how much God loves the church. His plan for the church to reach the world. But all of that, as you well know, and as we've experienced here probably in the past throughout the hundred some odd years that Elm Grove Baptist Church has been here. And churches could tell story after story. You realize that humility and prayer in this verse is accompanied with the word united. There was unity. In that early church, there was unity there. They were humble. They were seeking God in prayer, and they were unified. The Bible says that they were in one accord. Many, they had one mind. They were unanimous in their purpose. So humility, prayer, unity. They were in it for one another. When one person hurt, they rallied around that person. I am so thankful. We have a church, and I wanted to add, this is one of our strong suits And and we don't need to take it for granted. We don't need to say, well, we got that one covered, but we just simply need to keep moving forward. When one person hurts here, there are people who desire to try to meet needs and try to help out. I just, I've been extremely impressed, and I guess that's the best word, with that aspect of our church. People who want to help, want to pray, want to know what's going on in someone's life so they can meet a need. And If you're a person here who's new, I, I think that after a while, if it won't take you long, you'll begin to discover that's the heartbeat to a large extent of this church. Meeting needs, caring for one another. That is a huge thing that we do. Unity, caring for one another when we hurt, celebrating when things go well. These disciples, for once, were united, whereas before they were sort of jockeying for position in the kingdom of heaven. God... Jesus, can I, can I have your right hand? Can I have your left hand on? Oh, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. Right right up to the point where Jesus died, they're still arguing about who is the greatest. This time, they're united. They realize that apart from him, they can do nothing. They had to seek him in prayer, be united. The Bible shows us that it takes a unified people to see God do incredible ways, incredible things in incredible ways. There are certain ways, of course, you can unite with this particular church Love to be able to talk with you about that. If you've got any questions whatsoever, what does it mean to join the church? What what's that all about? I'd be happy to answer your questions. But they were united. They didn't always agree. They didn't always get along every single moment of every single day, but they had unity in their purpose. We are here to see what God wants to do and to be used by Him. It's a shame. So many churches are divided over issues that really should not divide us probably experience that, be it here, be it somewhere else, be it wherever you've been down the road, maybe somewhere where you'll go one day, you'll see that. It's a shame because God can do incredible things through a unified people. Verse 14 says that they didn't, it says they were continually united, but they didn't stop praying. And, and I wonder if their unity helped them maybe stick together and to not give up. And it's through these disciples, I believe, and through their, continual prayer that we learn something else that's required for getting ready, and that's persistence. We want God to do something, and we want Him to act, and we want Him to show up in incredible ways in our lives. We've got to be humble. We've got to seek Him in prayer, to be unified. We've got to be persistent. Persistence simply means just continuing in the course of an action, even if obstacles get in your way. There's a passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 62, and just maybe write down the reference, but it basically implies that we are to give God no rest whatsoever. We are not to rest ourselves in seeking him and going after him. And the scripture records it, don't give God any rest either. Keep going. Keep seeking him. Keep pursuing him. There are things in your life that you want to see happen and you've given up way too soon. There are things in your life that you know, this is a habit I need to start. This is a habit I need to eliminate. And you've given up way too soon. This is something I want to see God do in my life. I've got a family member that needs this. I've got somebody in my life that I really want to reach and want to help. Uh, We've got issues, and you've given up way too soon. The Bible says don't give God any rest, and don't give yourself any rest either. That doesn't mean you never sleep. That just simply means pursue. Be persistent. Keep going. Don't give up. We often quit way too soon. And I wonder sometimes if we quit about this much too soon. I wonder if God looks and says, just hold on a little bit longer. Just keep going. Just keep praying. Just keep being unified. I have recently attempted to start a new exercise program. And some of you are saying, well, it's not working. You're exactly right. Because the guy on the exercise program, it's a DVD little deal, and and you do the workouts with a guy on DVD and all that kind of stuff. And what he says in the first workout his words, keep pushing play, keep pushing play, keep pushing play. Persistence. It's a 90-day workout, very intense. He says, keep pushing play. That means show up every day, just keep doing it. Just do the best you can, keep pushing play. You know what my problem is? I keep pushing stop. Just, it's close to play. I like just keep pushing stop, or I, or I just don't push play that particular day. You realize that that I'm not going to see the results. As far as physically that I'm trying to see, if I don't keep pushing play every single day, it's not going to happen. But isn't the, the, the fact this, that, that sometimes we think, well, all right, I'm going to get myself in better condition, or whatever it may be. Maybe you tried this in the past. And so what you do is you go to the gym for the very first day, and you work out for like six hours. You know, and here you are. I'm just going to give it all i got. And you go real hard, and the next day you can't move. And so you think, oh. It's not worth it. Well, okay, let me kind of work out the source. You go back the next day and you have it there for about fifteen minutes, and and over time you just kind of well, you know, I worked out there one time long, six months ago. For it was an all day deal. I mean, that's got to work for something. But the truth is that if you're ever going to make gains physically, you've got to be persistent. You've got to keep going, keep pushing, play. I was reading this. <laughs> an article this week written by Dr. Jeff Orge, who is the president of Golden Gate Baptist Seminary out in San Francisco. And spiritually speaking, he was talking about this, and I'll read this to you very briefly as we think about persistence. He says, talking about a reunion he recently had with some of his friends, and he said, for the past 20 years, we've gone our separate ways, my family to the West Coast and those men to other churches. The reunion was an awesome and encouraging experience for us. Men told me the progress they've made the ministry leadership roles they have, and the strength and struggles of their families. My story was similar. Our overwhelming conclusion, experiencing the gospel and living for Jesus Christ really works. When you obey him day in and day out, the difference he makes is significant and measurable. Some people commit themselves to Jesus and expect life to change quickly, and in some areas of life it usually does. But other areas take more time. Persistent obedience, doing the little things over and over again, eventually adds up, however, to significant change. Those changes produce the abundant life Jesus promised his followers. My friends, along with their wives and children, are living proof of persistent commitment to Jesus Christ that it really works. Obedience, not perfection, but steady obedience, leads to a quality life only possible in the gospel. The life change in these men inspires me and motivates me. They remind me it is possible to live a lifetime of devotion and service. So many drop out. It's good to be reminded that many stay faithful and keep making an impact over time. The gospel really works. Jesus changes lives. Obedience matters. Longevity inspires. Some of us spiritually have given up way too soon. And we said, well, I don't see God doing anything. I I can't keep from doing this, or this still trips me up, or this person hasn't changed. I've been living like this in front of them for years and years. I can't guarantee you the results, But but I know this, that day in, day out obedience makes a difference. And your life will be different, and it will be what God wants it to be. Persist, keep going. Sometimes we persist in things and we don't see them, and that's where the next thing comes in, which is faith. Getting close to being done, so relax. Faith. The context, of course, of this particular verse is that they hadn't seen what Jesus promised yet. They were in the middle of it. Been there before? You feel like here's—I know God's going to do something. I know He's going to show up, but I haven't seen it yet. I keep praying and praying and praying, and I'm persisting, and I'm over and over again, and yet nothing has happened. They were in the middle of all that. And so faith comes in because we sometimes have to believe God before we've seen it. And Certainly that's the only way for us to give our lives to Jesus because we can't see him. We certainly know about him. We know he was real. We know he lived. And he was a son of God and he was a perfect human being while he was on earth. And he's died for our sins and he was raised again and he's coming back. We know the truth, but we have to live by faith and faith. What is that then in the life of our church, in in your life individually? What things do you simply need to say? I'm going to believe God for that, though I haven't seen it. I'm going to believe that God can use this church to reach the community right around here and people that we don't even know yet. I'm going to believe that God can do that in my life, though I've not seen it. Faith is not some far-out concept that renders your life meaningless and you sit around and meditate all day long and you don't do anything. Because faith always, always leads to action. Faith always leads to action. It's interesting to me that after verse 14 and before chapter 2, the disciples did something. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait. They went to Jerusalem, continued in prayer, united together. And in verse 15, through the end of chapter 1, they selected a new apostle, a new disciple to take the place of Judas Iscariot, who had betrayed Jesus and was now dead. Although they knew that Jesus hadn't done exactly what he said he was going to do yet, they still took action to do all they knew to do. They knew there was an opening. They knew they had to fill that position to continue to be ready for what God wanted to do. And they went forward with what they knew they were to do while they were waiting for God to do his thing. And and, and I'm thankful we have such an advantage here. We have such an advantage because we have the full scripture. They had the Old Testament. You realize that's all they had. We have the full scripture. We know that Jesus has said, love God with all that you are. Love other people just like you love yourself. He said, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them all they should know. We have a huge advantage. We already have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, if you're a believer, to give us instruction and encouragement and empowerment. We already have those things, and we don't have to search long to find the will of God while we're waiting on God to do something else. Some of us search our entire lives. I'm just looking for God's will for my life. Let I me mean, let you in on a little secret. He's already told you. He's already told you what, you, what his will is. I, I've, I've said this before. I'm just looking for the will of God. The will of God, he says, is to believe on the one he sent and imitate him. Believe in Jesus. That's the will of God for your life. Give your life to him. And then imitate him. Love God with all you are. Love people just like you love yourself. And go and make disciples. You may not have every single dot connected along the way. You may still be searching for that smaller little infinite will of God in this particular situation. I understand that. But overall, we have a lot to do while we're waiting on God to do something else. We can take action. There's a great passage of scripture I want to read this as we bring it to a close today in 1 Samuel, chapter 14. And I'm not going to try to give you the entire story, but I would encourage you to, to go back and read this sometime. The idea here is that Saul, the king of Israel, was was camping with some of his soldiers, about 600 guys there, and they, they weren't really ready for the battle, but they had a battle coming up. and And Jonathan, Saul's son, decides he's going to do something. I want you to look in verse 6 of 1 Samuel chapter 14. Jonathan said to the attendant who carried his weapons, Come on, let's cross over the garrison of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing can keep the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. His armor bearer responded, Do what is in your heart. You choose. I'm right here with you, whatever you decide. Jonathan said, look, we've got an army to defeat. I have no idea how God wants to go and defeat that army, but let's give it a shot and see what God will do. There was no guarantee that God was going to give them victory, but Jonathan said, I'm tired of waiting around. I'm tired of just sitting here. Yes, I have faith in God, but I'm going to do all that I know to do in the meantime. He acted in line with the heart of God, which was to defeat those Philistines. And he just prayed, God, I'm going to do what I know you would would want me to do. and I'm going to trust you in the process. And you may do exactly what I think you're going to do. You may do something different, but I've got to be responsible to do what I know I need to do. And individually for us, we can play that out in our lives beginning now. As we wait for God to show up and bring deliverance or repentance or, or restoration or whatever we're looking for in our own lives, we can begin just simply to act in line with God's heart. Do what we know God would want us to do, even now, in your home, in your work, in your school, wherever you may go. And as a church, though we may say we want God to do something, in the meantime, we can take action Continue. As a whole, to teach the Word of God as best we can. Continue to serve other people. Continue to reach out and be willing and and open and receptive continue to park across the street like we've done and pray for those people who may not take our parking place those are the things in the meantime as God is working behind the scenes in the hearts of people we've never met those are the things that we can do do everything we can to make a great first impression on a visitor who walks through our doors to let them know this is a place where God is exalted where people love each other and where you're going to find truth and hope for your life what about a first impression for people like that to do everything we can with as much excellence as possible, just do the best we possibly can to love God, to love people, to continue just to make disciples as best we can by baptizing people and teaching them what what to know. Individually and as a church, we can begin to act, though we may still be praying that God would do something unique. And so at the end of every sermon, there are usually two questions that people are asking. first is, so what? You may be asking that or you may nudge your neighbor and wake them up and tell them to ask, so what? And you can laugh at them when they actually say it out loud and all that. But here's the so what part. What difference does this make? Here's the truth. We cannot dictate a move of God. But we must be ready for it. We cannot dictate a move of God. God does not answer to us. We cannot do all of these things and sit back and say, all right, God. Now, look, we're humble. We're praying. We are persisting. We are united. We are doing it all just Right. Now, let's go. We don't get to do that with God. I'll tell you this. The heart of God is to move. The heart of God is to use us to reach other people. But We don't dictate it. We just simply get ready for it. The next question people ask is, okay, all right, I get the so what part. Now what? What do, what do I need to do to get God involved in my life like he talks about in the scripture? The truth is, God wants to play an active role in your life, maybe more so than he's already doing He's called you to be a disciple, a devoted follower of his son, Jesus. And that begins by confessing that, you know what, I've messed up. I am imperfect. And as a result, I know I need Jesus for salvation. Confessing our sin to him and repenting, turning from that old life and then placing our trust in Jesus alone for salvation, committing ourselves to pattern our lives after him. Many of us will get excited about all that God could do. We like to talk about it. We like to think about it and what could happen in our lives and our church. But many of us, the truth is, many of us will walk away today still content with mere survival, with just getting by, not, not seeking after and striving after being unstoppable. But I know this, from having talked with many of you, some are desperate to see God do something unique in your life, and in this church. And so for those of you that are on the edge of your seat waiting for God to show up, we've got to do all we can to be prepared for what God has ahead of us. Imagine the results that God can bring. Imagine the empowerment, things that you never thought you could do. Imagine the, the people that would be reached, the people that would be set back up, the marriages that could be restored, the lives that could be put back together, the folks that are far from God finding him. God is able to do amazingly far more than we can even think or imagine. The Bible says that nobody's even thought of what God has prepared for those who love him and follow him. And so maybe if you are a person who likes a definite next step, what do I need to do? What can I do? I want to challenge you with this. Some of you maybe can do this. Some of you probably already doing this. This week, I want you to mirror the example of those disciples. I'm going to do my best to do this as well. They prayed. And they prayed persistently. And they kept going after God. And maybe you'd pray about the things in here. God, show me where my pride is. God, help me to be a humble person who seeks after you. God, make us a church that is going after you with all that we have. Maybe you'd pray according to the mention, the things mentioned here today. And then Take action on what you already know to do. Some things you don't have to pray about. Some things you just need to do. I, I, I want to, for some of you, maybe this would, would be helpful. I don't know. But this week, I want to make it available to you. The, the church building in the sanctuary will be open from about 8 to 5 every Oh, uh, Jerry, wherever you are, you want to take care of this, I'll take care of it. But I'll, I'll leave this door open right here. And some of you may say, you know what, I'll, just for one week, I'm going to be persistent. I'm focus in on prayer. Maybe you'd come and just get away from things a little bit and you say, I'm going to show up. I'm not going to take role. I'm not going to give gold stars out and all that. I'm probably not even going to know you were here. So this is not about anything trying to please me. Okay, if you show up, great. If you don't, great. Maybe for some of you say, you know what, I'm going I'm I'm to show up. And I just come sometime, spend a few minutes praying reading the scripture, praying for things in my own life, and, and then figuring out what God would have me act on. Maybe I'm just going to pray for this church, that God would make us unstoppable. And so if that helps you, then from 8 to 5 or so each week, the door will be open, and come in here and just spend some time, be a little bit of music playing, and you spend some time with the Lord. Maybe that helps you. Maybe that gets you on a path, gets you to kind of in have habit. Whatever it is, I, I, I pray that we will begin to act on what we already know to do. That we will see ourselves not as a cruise ship, but as a battleship that's dangerous for the Lord. And we'll see God do some incredible things that we'll be ready for whatever God wants to do, let's pray.